and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin are here with us as well, as is our good friend Shannon Joy. We will be introducing her formally for the Dace Group here in a moment. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. Last name is D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. It is a Friday, so we'll get to some of the feedback that you've been sending to us uh, recently via the stevedace.com inbox. Before Aaron jumps in to remind me, I forgot another addition to the boilerplate, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, because I had forgotten until I looked over at you and I saw that you had your finger on the trigger and I'm like, crap, I forgot again. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can get some uh, free preview clips of uh, this show each and every day. So if you're on the edge about whether or not to subscribe, go ahead and check out those free clips at YouTube and YouTube uh, and YouTube will probably talk uh, completely out of doing so, but give it a shot. Tempt yourself. See if you're strong enough to resist. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. Is that the promotion that you were looking for? Exactly. That was wonderful. Thank you. Of course, before we get to that feedback, though, we have to begin with the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was, which is a complete and total ripoff of the McLaughlin group, right down to the logo, the music, the the format, everything. But John McLaughlin's been dead several years now, so I don't think he minds. Let's get to issue one. Bleep Democrats say. So you know we're in the French resistance now, right? Nobody in the French resistance ever said, yeah, I know there's only nine days to our caucus, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've got to... I've got to get the kids to soccer this week. No! The kids can walk to soccer this week! And he told my two big brothers and me, if you see something wrong in the country, make sure you fight it as fast and as hard as you can. Because they didn't do that in Germany, and something happened there that was almost unimaginable. Nobody in the French resistance ever said, geez, I, I, yes, I'd like to help you stop those Nazis coming down the road there, but, but um, we've got couples therapy at four today. No! No! You have to get along with your spouse for the next week or two. A lot of the stories were told in the United States about, you know, the gulags and the persecution of the kulaks and things like that are exaggerated. That's like just flat out acknowledging we've been doing everything we do to keep Biden from being the nominee. And guess what? We tried it in in Iraq. It's not working. So now we're going to try. I mean, in Iran, excuse me, we tried in Ukraine. Where's my ice cream? Ah, thank you. Mmm. Big gay ice cream is the best. Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane (laughs) next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an an administration defined by ignorance. Ask anyone who knows me. They'll tell you. I don't believe in belittling people. Belittling anyone. (laughs) And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience. Uh, You know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump. During an interview on Saturday night, one of my guests said something that made me laugh. And while in the moment, I found that joke humorous. And I didn't catch everything that was said. 
that that Donald Trump's a smart one in there. Oh y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> you you elitists with your geography and your maps. Just to make this perfectly clear, I was laughing at the joke, and not at any group of people. And your spelling, even though my math and your reading. Yeah, you're reading. You know, your geography, knowing other countries. You are a self-proclaimed socialist. Democratic, put in there, please. Thank you. Your agenda has promised free health care for everybody, free college tuition, and to pay off people's college loans. The price tag for that is estimated to be $60 trillion over 10 years, correct? Well, we have political opponents. You don't know. Come up. You don't know how much your plan costs. You don't know. Nobody knows. This is impossible. You're going to propose a plan to the American people, and you're not going to tell them how much it costs. Of course, I will. And part two, because it came from a young trans person who asked about a welcoming community, and I said it starts with a secretary of education who has a lot to do with where we spend our money, with what gets advanced in our public schools, with what the standards are. And I said, I'm going to have a Secretary of Education that this young trans person interviews on my behalf. I've said for some time that I hope to be able to hear from John Bolton. <sighs> Perfect. I liked the cameo there at the end. Well done. Might be a regular contributor. Indeed. I mean, I don't know why you can't transition, right? Can identify back and forth which party you're in, which party you're not, right? Let's get to the first question. Your favorite ride on the crazy train this week was, fill in the blank, New York talk show host Shannon Joy. You're first. All right. I'm going to go with Don Lemon. Doesn't he know? I mean, he's a liberal, right? He's a progressive. Doesn't he know that liberal progressives are not allowed to be funny anymore? They're not allowed to joke about every, anything anymore because there's a microaggression lurking behind, around every corner. And so the idea that uh, he thinks that it's okay to make fun of anyone, I mean, that's just not acceptable today. You can't, you can't tell jokes. And I'm not sure why he doesn't know that. Well, to be fair, he identifies as both black and uh, homosexual. So with those two intersectionality points, there's really no standard to hold against him. He's pretty much exempted from everything that you're discussing. And uh, he he found out this week that that may not necessarily be the case when up until this week it was in defense yeah. of Don Lemon. And that might be the only time I will ever in my career say that. Todd, your favorite uh, dose of lunacy. What well, was it? Just like earlier in the week, it, this is about the questioner. Earlier in the week when the pro-life Democrat uh, unicorn uh, asked a question of uh, Mayor Pete, and Mayor Pete, in a very nice uh, and wordy way, basically said, um, I, "Go I, pound I, sand." I, well, I thought it was clear we're stone cold killers over here. Uh, the, right? Did you not get the memo that's been issued for decades now? Were you not given uh, your murder ink yeah. underoos when you came in? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my favorite is Nora O'Donnell's great umbrage to yeah. Bernie said, you don't know how much it's going to cost. Like suddenly caring about fiscal sanity. Right. From Bernie Sanders. Yes. Really. And I love the part where she goes, you're going to propose all these plans to the American people and not how much they cost. And his, and he replies with, of course. <laughs> That's great. I'm slobbering. I love that so much. I love it so much. 
What am I doing Monday night? It will cost. I might be caucusing for Bernie Sanders. That that clip reminded me of that homeless guy I met in New York City. I told you that story before, and he's out there. You know, I uh, I'm, I'm I'm homeless. I need money. And in my first time in New York City, and he's out in front of Penn Station. I feel bad for this guy. I'm Iowa nice, and I walk up to him and I grab my wallet because I mean it's 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 you know it's it's rush hour and everybody's just walking right by this guy, and I kind of feel bad for him, you know. So I open up my wallet. I'm going to hand him a five dollar bill, and he looks at me. He grabs my arm or my wrist. He goes. Young man, you look like a sincere individual. I, I need you to know, if if you hand me any money, I, you see that 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 drugstore over there. I'm just going to go over there and buy some booze with it. And I was so flabbergasted. You pulled out a ten. I, I put the, I put the five dollar back in my wallet and I handed him a ten dollar bill because I just appreciated his honesty so dang much. And that's a little bit how Bernie Sanders made me feel right there. Well, yeah, of course. That's what. Yes, that's what. No, that's what. What am I doing? I've been doing that for thirty years, lady. Have you not been paying attention around here? That's how this how this operates. I just, I loved that. Aaron. The continued Elizabeth Warren panderathon uh, towards the end of the, the, the montage where she says that she's going to have a young trans person interview, uh, interview in her stead, the, her, uh, you know, if she was elected the, the next secretary of education or whatever, secretary of the education department. Um, yes, that is, I mean, there's pandering and then there's like, I'm literally going to have uh, an underage uh, trans person do my job for me. That's that's basically that that is some that's some good pandering right there. I mean, I think all the other candidates need to step up their game uh, as well. But uh, that's that's probably probably my favorite ride on the crazy train. <laughs> is wax my balls guy also going to be vetting the sec def? This is going to be fascinating. <laughs> only if only if Allah loves us. Where do we live? <laughs> and he's a foreigner. He's in Canada. So now we, we, we check the globalist box on top of it because we're the planetary defense force. We can't ever leave Afghanistan no matter what. So, Aaron, you have inspired me. I'm tweeting this in real time. I hope you guys don't mind. So, mm-hmm. so when does Elizabeth Warren get her uh, gender reassignment surgery? Yeah. Uh, to conclude her pander-a-thon. Tweet that out there. I like that. time before I forget. Thank you, Aaron. I yeah. appreciated that. Okay, uh, let's get to the exit question. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being as limp as Mitt Romney's severe conservatism, and 10 being as vigorous as Mitt Romney's disdain for conservatism, rate this week's level of total depravity, Todd. Um, it had quite a laugh track, but that doesn't mean it's less severe, you know? Sometimes it's shock and awe. Sometimes it's the laughs. I, I can't go lower than a nine. I thought this week I would go lower. I thought I thought this week was from the sublime to the ridiculous more than like. But that like doesn't this mean week, you should go lower. Yeah, but see, this week I, I I thought I how do you lose your civilization to this? How how do you how do you lose? We have the guns too. But doesn't that mean it's at a ten? And we're going to lose our civilization to yeah. to this to these fools. That's how I felt watching this week. I That's felt why like it that. should be a ten. All right, Aaron, what's your number? I'm going with an eight. Shannon, yeah, I'm with you, Steve. I was lower. I'm going below a five, which is a real bummer because I'm like, bring on the depravity. Like every time they go crazier and crazier, I'm like, yes, bring it on. Because no one used to believe me about this stuff. Exactly. I I, like, I kind of came away from this week thinking that uh, this this culture deserves a, a a better class of pagan. I I, I kind of thought this felt like the off brand version this week, but that's okay. 
Now, this topic I want us to treat seriously because I, I am truly fascinated by this. Okay. Issue two, who is the Democratic Party base? For all the long, drawn-out bluster that is the impeachment of President Trump, it seems as if Democrats outside the 202 area code don't really care. That is, if you believe well-known Democrat consultant David Axelrod's comments on CNN. Wait, but let me just say one thing, Aaron. Yeah. I, uh, I was in a focus group this morning for the Institute of Politics here at the University of Chicago with some Chicago Democratic voters, and it was chilling to hear them talk about this because impeachment didn't even come up. No one volunteered it for 80 minutes into the focus group. Uh, and, yeah. you know, we're right in the middle of the trial. So that is David Axelrod. He is the uh, he's the brains, the, the Svengali of the Obama political machine, the Karl Rove maybe is a better, is a good analogy to drive the point home. He's the Karl Rove of the Obama political machine. And he's coming out of Chicago, which is Barack Obama's hometown. Um, I, I think the last time a Republican won there, I, I, I think Abraham Lincoln couldn't have gotten elected mayor of Chicago in, in the mid 19th century. Okay. So, this is, this is, does it get any more Democrat basey than Chicago, right? That, correct. Correct. Can we, can, will, will we all stipulate that before we move on? Shannon, will you, will you stipulate to that? Sure. Okay. And yet, here's Axelrod saying on CNN that has staked its entire reputation as a network on the toppling of the Trump presidency. And here's Axelrod telling them one of their highest, one of their highest, um, uh, regarded paid contributors and Obama's political uh, genius. These people in this focus group do not care. Now, after the Democrats captured the House in 2018, I said along they were going to impeach Trump no matter what because their base demanded it. Yet, here we're seeing Axelrod say their base could not care less. So, I think that prompts a question that may go a long way in determining what ultimately ends up happening here in the year 2020 between now and what is it? November the 6th. Who is, who is the democratic base? Then? Who is it? Todd, I'm going to start with you. Who is it? Well, do we know? I think the truth is somewhere in between uh, demanding impeachment and not caring. I mean, they don't care maybe now when it looks like it's increasingly uh, a joke. Listen, I, I, I don't think, the, 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 remember, I've been telling you for a while, there's there's nothing aspirational about various elections. There's nothing very aspirational about our uh, political times in many respects. And, and I think that's uh, the, the key to this. The, 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 Democrat, the, the Democratic base is people who know they're not Republicans. That, that's pretty much it. They, they think Republicans are icky. And it, it's that generalized id that describes who they are. And I've, I'm, that's not simply theoretical. I, you talk to people out there, and this is quite frankly, it cuts both ways. They just, they can't even envision attaching the D or their R to themselves, which is why they will ex, ex, accept so much nonsense 
from the other tribe that they've aligned with because it's all better than Hillary to some so, extent. So we're just, it's just Navy, Army, Navy, Alabama, Auburn, Michigan, Ohio State. At that, its that, core, when you talk to a the lot Celtics of and the people, Lakers, Red Sox and the Yankees, that's they, all that it is. They will just, they'll legitimize, talk away just about anything in their own tribe because they just know they can't be the them. And that's, it, it cuts both ways. So Shannon, you're sitting there in upstate New York, which is fairly Republican country. Although you're in a state that, you know, a Republican presidential candidate, I don't think has won since 1984. All right. right. So um, I, I would imagine you get a good cross-section view of this. Mm-hmm. Who is the Democratic base based on what you see? Well, I've been observing politics closely for the past seven years, but I've always been interested in politics. And my thoughts about who Democrats are today are very different than my thoughts uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago. And, you know, looking at the, the political landscape today, I would say that Democrats are really a lot like Republicans, if you think about it. Um, when I talk to my neighbors in New York who are Democrats, we basically live our lives in very similar ways. We are fiscally responsible. We want things to be fair. We want our towns and our villages to be safe. We want a little bit of a social safety net for people who fall through the cracks. But, you know, we want every, everything to be relatively fair. But what where we fall apart is who we who we ascribe to is term, in terms of a political party. So we identify as a Republican and we identify as a Democrat. And so that puts us at odds with one another. I mean, I would, I would look to how did Republicans look during Benghazi? How did Republicans look during Fast and Furious? How did Republicans feel when we elected uh, all of those members of the House of Representatives who said that they were going to defund Obamacare? I think what you're seeing with the Democrats is, yeah, they really did want Donald Trump impeached. And they meant it because of a variety of different reasons. But as they've witnessed the unibrow, the WWE uh, sideshow over the course of of three years, really, from the ben- from the the Russia 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 scandal to the hearings to the Mueller report, now culminating into an impeachment trial that is like an, a, a horrific version of political Groundhog Day every day. They're just fatigued by it, and they real. I think they're realizing at least something that I've realized that a lot of this is just a show. The Democrats aren't really serious about impeaching President Trump. If they were, they would do things very difficult. Uh, differently. And so if anything, I think you just have a base of of both Democrats and Republicans who are just kind of shell-shocked. There's a political system that's out of control. It's off the rails and we don't even know how to put it back together. It's just crazy. If your analysis is accurate, that could, that could lend itself then to what Todd just described. Meaning that if, if, if you've given up, if, if, if you've largely given up that anything substantive is going to take place then really all you're left with shannon is a is a sporting contest right my my team versus your team you know that that's that because nothing else is going on nothing else is happening so that's what todd described would be for for most voters that identify as members of these parties that's that's really all that's left then it's and so I'm not doing anything different than when I first started in this business doing sports talk radio 20 years ago. You know, when 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 the chief rivals quarterback gets pulled over for a DUI over the weekend, the other rival fans call the show and talk about what a renegade program that is, and they're and the other and the guys who, the quarterback teams fans call up and talk about grace and second chances, and God works through broken people. 
And then when the other team's quarterback gets pulled over for a DUI, they just switch sides. One group of fans calls up and says, boy, that's a renegade program over there at blank U. And then the other fans that were once concerned that uh, state U was the renegade program now are, are clamoring for mercy and redemption. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah. Well, and it, to be frank, it's not even something to be, I mean, we should be excited about that. I mean, what I see as a marketer and an advertiser, someone who owns an advertising agency and has been in this business for 20 years is a huge marketing opportunity for news outlets and media companies and political parties, new outside the box political parties who just, who are sane, right? I mean, we're seeing this in New York. Things are, when I talk about the things just coming apart, New York is out of control and you're seeing Democrats and Republicans coming together, um, just railing against the criminal justice reform. I was just at a meeting last night in uh, a neighboring town, 400 people turned out at a church uh, to talk about the psychotic vaccine laws that Andrew Cuomo is putting in place here in New York State. I mean, really tyrannical stuff, scary stuff. Democrats and Republicans coming together on all of these issues because it's gotten so insane. And so to me, that's hopeful. People often call me a pessimist and, uh, you know, you know, there's there's no solution here. I'm saying there is major solutions here if we would just bust out of the two-party paradigm and admit what is right in front of all of our faces, that but, they're working together, they're the same team. But you know as a marketer, though, you can have the greatest concept in the world. You can even have the funding to, uh, to, to produce your concept into a product. But right. if you don't have the means or vehicle by which to bring it to market, you're just blogging. You're, you're just venting. You're just opinionizing, right? And, and so this, that's, yeah. the, that's the issue then. What, what's the... It's not... Because I, I don't disagree with your analysis at all, but tell I'll, me I'll where we get... A, if, if, if the market... If the Overton window, if the marketplace will not allow this to come to market, right. then, then that's where black markets come from, right? So tell me then how we bring what you're describing to market. Tell me how that happens. Okay. Right. So what I'll say first is that as an as an advertiser, you know, I have dealt with clients who have million dollar budgets and clients who have ten thousand dollar budgets. And very often you'll see smaller advertisers go up against giants. Right. And carve out a niche. They'll, they'll be able to use if you have good messaging and good marketing and you're actually telling the truth. Someone you can wedge your way in there, so to speak, is what you're saying. You yeah. Can, yeah, every dollar that you spend is worth 10 or 20, right? Because they're just telling lies and it's all played out. And nobody wants to hear it. But if you have a good message and it's truthful and honest, and it'll cut through like a, a hot knife through butter. So that's number one. You don't need all the money that these giant parties have. The second thing, this is why I'm, I am so, so keen on local community organization that is connected nationally, Right. Because you're you're absolutely right. We can't go. We can't win national contests. OK, the Republican Party is corrupted. So is the Democrat Party. We can't do anything in Washington, D.C. We don't have the funds to do that. But if we have organizations in, in local communities who are sharing best practices, who are are you know borrowing from one another in terms of resistance and refusing to comply with unconstitutional. So laws the political are, version of a black market is what you're describing, basically, an underground yes. railroad. OK, basically retreating to higher ground mm -hmm. like the local level is the higher ground it's the last battle and and what i'm trying to do is convince people that the washington dc battle is played out now this is why it can work nationally in terms of a national message everything that they're rolling out locally and at a state level is copy and pasted 
All of it comes out of D.C., all of it comes out of the lobbying organizations. You can take a criminal justice bill, an education bill, uh, you name a health care bill, and copy and paste it from California to New York to Texas to Florida. They're all the same. So we could use the same, you know, local communities can use the same tactics, the same techniques, because we're battling the same demon here. Mm -hmm. But, so you know, it, it can happen. We just have to think completely differently about how we organize and how we mobilize. But we don't need gazillion dollar budgets. We really don't. We really we need the truth. And and, you know, that's what really will cut through, I think, ultimately. It's good stuff. Aaron, your thoughts. So. I'll answer the, the, the question, the, the original question first, but I think we're also begging another question as it pertains to impeachment. But I, I, think, I think all of the answers so far kind of fall in line, though, with, with, um, with intersectionality of the, of the Democrat. I mean, they have been pu- pushing that forever. It is class warfare. They, they don't really have, um, other than um, probably the, the black community, they don't really have a huge base of people. They just have different different uh, people groups, different identities that are together. And you, when you look at the people who have been most outspoken about, about uh, impeaching uh, Donald Trump, it's been largely Tom Steyer, CNN's audience, MSNBC's audience, who, as you've pointed out on multiple occasions, are educated white liberals. Uh, and so I don't I, I don't really think that their largest bases of people in the Democratic Party, if you can even call them that, just constituencies, I don't really see the, the I haven't really seen as I'm racking my brain a huge push from them. It's been mostly from the elites, the Tom Steyer types. And he's the one who started the mm-hmm. need to impeach uh, movement or what what have you. So I think the, the further question. So I think I think this we don't know who their base is because they don't really have a huge one to speak of um, in mass that are that are calling for this. Um, so I think the question becomes then why did they impeach in the first place? Or why is it, um, you know, as you said, their base demands it. Well, is their base really demanding it? Did they really demand it? And I think it just, I think it's as simple as, if I can answer the question that I posed, I think it's just as simple as, we know that the people in D.C. hate Donald Trump. It's not that they really hate him. It's that they hate us, hate, hate, hate people like us, hate, hate his voters. Not that I voted for Donald Trump, but they, they do not like them. And so this was really an effort, I think, at the end of the day to impeach the people who voted for Donald Trump and not necessarily to impeach Donald Trump himself. I can totally see how it's in the echo chamber that is, that, that, that is Washington, D.C., uh, people con- uh, talking themselves into, uh, you know, trying to remove this guy or impeaching this guy. So I really just think it's as simple as a vendetta against Donald Trump and mostly the people who put him in office. I think the echo chamber is the key operative word that you just said. And and I think this is, again, where we have to decide, are, are we a click conservative industry or do we want to defeat leftist ideas? Because I think for there's there's one thing, listening to all three of you, that had a lot of wisdom, I thought, in your thoughts. What, what, what it crystallizes for me is for David Axelrod's analysis to be true, along with, with the, the three of your perspectives, there's only one way they all line up. And that is, if the Democratic base is not the left-wing cable news that we see on television, in almost any way, shape, or form, outside of a few places like California, okay? Massachusetts, places where Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are from. But it, it's nothing, that's nothing like what the Democratic base is like in Kansas or in New Mexico 
Like they're more left wing than we are, but they're not Don Lemon. They don't watch those shows. They don't consume those shows. They're not paying attention to those shows. Well, keep in mind, a lot of what we do in conservative media to counter the left comes from responding and reacting to what we see from left media. And if left media, if left media is not even who the Democrat base is in Chicago, then we're going to have to search our own souls here uh, strategically and ask ourselves, do we really want to conserve what's true and beautiful and right for America? Or do we want clicks? Okay. And get our jollies on Fox news because we own the libs. Because I think what this impeachment is showing us then is those two groups aren't always the same group of people aren't always uh, going the same direction. Just some, just a thought. Exit question of the ultimate impact from this impeachment on the 2020 election were an Eagle song. Which Eagle song would it be? A, take it to the limit. B, I can't tell you why. Or C, already gone. Aaron. Already gone. Already gone. Shannon. Already gone. Todd, I got about a minute. You have a thought on what I just said before I went to the exit question about we may have to reconsider what we're reacting to. Here. Yeah, and actually, I think that's already happening. Anytime we've had a conversation about the what is conservatives, the French so Rob debate, all of that, we're talking about that. How uh, how are we now getting past the the game that we talk about all the time that Shannon talks about? They're both playing on the same team. How do we reframe that so now whatever conservative is looks good to uh, lower class, working class voters? The the everyman vote. It, there's a there's this whiff of populism in there. Mm-hmm. That's that's happening now. Is it? And if you're state- a MAGA person watching this, you're like, uh, Doug, guys, that's that's what Trump's been trying to do. Well, you guys were trashing him the entire time, and there's probably a little bit of truth. To well, that, yeah, Trump's got his own. Yep. He, he has his own version of that. How sustainable any of it is, or do we talk about this in terms of Tea Party soon? True. Meaning, but maybe that, maybe his, his movement was kind of the next evolution of where a lot of that sort of uh, right of center populism you're describing right. ultimately gravitated to. Interesting point. We're going to come back. We're going to preview the Iowa caucuses, which are Monday, right after this year on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Stay tuned. Back here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. If you are listening today via the podcast, by the way, please consider giving us a five-star review no matter where you podcast from. Thanks to all of you that have done that already. Steve Dace here along with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and the fourth member of our Dace Group panel this week, our good friend Shannon Joy, New York talk show host. Let's get to issue three here on the Dace Group, Iowa. The latest Real Clear Politics polling average of Iowa shows Bernie Sanders jumping out to a 3.6 point lead with a polling average of 23.8%. Joe Biden is in second place with 20.2%. Pete Buttigieg is still in the mid teens at 15.8%. Elizabeth Warren is hanging on for relevancy at 14.6%, and Amy Klobuchar is in fifth place at 9.6%. However, the Sanders surge seems to be a real thing. Six months ago, the RCP average of the state showed Joe Biden led, followed by Harris, Warren, then Sanders. Three months ago, it was Warren, Biden, Buttigieg, and Sanders. Last month, it was Buttigieg, Sanders, Biden, and Warren. And of course, today, Sanders is on top. We'll find out how close these numbers are in just a few more days. Another key number. Great job, Aaron, by the way, showing the the trend lines there for the last few months in the RCP average. You have another key number to keep in mind there, though. We haven't talked as much about this the last couple of weeks 
as much as we did early on in the process and educating how educating the audience and how the Iowa caucuses work because we've been kind of fixated on this new rule now where you have to declare who you're for when you go in and how that can absolutely change the dynamic of a room. But keep in mind, they still have that threshold straw poll in there. And if you look at the latest RCP average, there's only three candidates above that minimum 15% threshold right now. Only three. So if that's anywhere close to right with how many candidates are going to be on that ballot on Monday... Is the great prophet Keith Jackson used to say, whoa, Nelly. I mean, the amount of it that's going to get tossed around in that room if there's only three candidates above that 15% threshold out of that many candidates. Should pay for the price. That's worth the price of admission to get into those rooms. So let's start with uh, the first question here. And I'll start with you, Aaron. Who's ascending? Who's descending? And what do you just not know as the first vote in the 2020 presidential election looms here in Iowa on Monday? So I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different direction. I'm I'm not gonna go with the and, uh, obvious. Sanders is surging. I think now our friend David Yepsen said this um, a couple weeks ago or last week when he was in studio. But I think I think Amy Klobuchar is actually gonna surprise. She is starting to pick up a little bit of steam. There was a poll out this morning. I can't remember the name of the group, but I think she was either even or pulled ahead within the margin of error of Elizabeth Warren. So if Elizabeth Warren, for whatever reason, maybe is uh, hemorrhaging support, but uh, there's still that we got to vote for a women vote, then that that could, that I think that could enable Klobuchar to surprise some people. Not, not going to, I don't, she, she's not going to finish in the top two um, or maybe even the top three, but I think she will finish with a stronger, stronger finish than than uh, than some people are are predicting. Falling, I, it's obvious that it's Elizabeth Warren. I I thought, and I think I even said it maybe on a days group at one point a few months ago. I thought she was inevitable. I really did. Um, but she is she is showing some chinks in the armor. And as we talked about, I believe it was yesterday too. Um, She's really showing you she's in desperation mode. She's kind of throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. Hey, we're going to start cracking down on misinformation. We're going to start, um, you know, I'm going to have a trans, a young trans person do my interviewing for me. I, it's just uh, she's in desperation mode, I, I believe. And so I think uh, yeah, this I is the trying internal, stuff stage. Yeah, the trying stuff yep. stage. I, I think she is. Um, I, I think she could be in trouble. Uh, what do we not know? You already hit on it. The the emotion, I I just I do not I do not expect things to just go smoothly anywhere at any caucus site across the state, and so that could make an already volatile caucus um, process. That's just going to be uh, throwing grease on the flames there, and so it. I, this is a kind of a general a- answer, but as you already previewed with declaring yourself and with all of the emotion in the room, this is as, as far left in my lifetime as collectively the Democrats have been in a caucus in a primary cycle. Uh, this is this is this is going to be something to behold. So that's the unknown. How this how the emotion will actually impact things on Monday night. That's the huge X factor. I think based on that, what you just described. And Elizabeth Warren has had the has had arguably the best organization from the very beginning. I mean, she came in here, took away some of Bernie's key organizers, and and that's why she was over polling here early in in the process compared to what she was doing nationally all along. But I think I think that organization is going to get severely tested now because if if the, if there's I, I would assume the Des Moines Register will come out with one more poll this weekend before Monday. I would assume. 
And if it doesn't show her doing well, particularly after their endorsement of her, if it doesn't show that she's overperforming the, the national trend line for her right now, her perception, when she goes into that room and her people declare, I mean, I got to think the Sanders and Klobuchar people just, their, their people in that room, Todd, just absolutely jump her supporters right away. You know, with two pitches. They're different pitches, obviously. The Sanders pitches, if you want a true, you know, progressive, go with the one that can has a chance to win. And if you want to vote for a chica, you want to vote for, you know, a woman, go with the one that has the momentum. I mean, I unless they get a Des Moines Register poll heading into this final this final weekend that says that she's stronger than the perception, they're going in there Monday night playing a lot of defense all over the state, I think. Agreed. I I find it remarkable because I agree with everything that's been said so far. But when the best we can do about uh, who might be the hot ticket, who might be ascending, is somebody who is increasing at a snail's pace in the form of Amy Klobuchar. That just goes to show what this has been about so far. I mean, you have this is like the kid choosing their colleges and their first three choices have flamed out and their safety school suddenly, you know, is in in tatters and that's joe biden it 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 is something to behold that people are grasping on the maybe what if could she make uh, of amy klobuchar i i, I mean I, a month ago i i said she could be a dark horse but she's increased but it's such a snail's pace and i've kind of even set that aside but it's more about progressive desperation now that nothing that they've tried to grasp onto has worked so far. Joe Biden is definitely the one in my mind uh, that is uh, descending. He's still this placeholder of people who just are can't bear the thought of what they're going to have to face going into the emotion of these meetings, and they're just kind of stuck on him until they get in that room. In terms of uh, one more thing I want to mention, and I was fascinated by it, uh, an old colleague of mine, uh, he now works for AP, uh, Tom Beaumont, formerly of the Register. Yeah. Uh, a solid yep. dude, a real newspaper Agreed. man, okay? Yep. This guy said, if anybody else said it, I won't believe it. He said at the highest level of about one-third of Iowa County uh, Democrat machinery, there are Democrats at, excuse me, there are Republicans at high levels running Pete Buttigieg's campaign. That's fascinating to me. These guys are just clearly never Trumpers of some level. They they appeal to his what his dulcet tones, his militarist, his viewed as a moderate, whatever. But that's the kind of sort of firewall. Those people are not going to move to anybody okay. else. They're in well, for Mayor Pete, which is why I think he's he. I don't think here in Iowa. He can flame out. He, I'm not saying he's going to win, but I think he's got a firewall that will put, keep him in the conversation in a strong way moving forward. I hadn't heard that from Tom, but that 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 fits a line with the analysis we have given here in the last couple of weeks, including earlier this week. Um, this is all white people, and and you're going to find a lot more commonality and and some of your culture war issues with black and brown folks in America than you are white affluent people. I mean, they're the ones that have been the, the most totally worked over, and it's not even close uh, to, you know, uh, the 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 new paganism that that Pete Buttigieg represents, and that would that would confirm that. Shannon, what's your view of this from afar? You all know my perspective about these primary contests, whether it's the Republicans or the Democrats. I think that the winner is already predetermined. 
I think the outcome is already largely predetermined by people that we don't see or hear. I think the larger election, even, you know, the Trump versus whoever is predetermined. I do believe that Trump is going to win in 2020. And so that would, if you back out of the outcome, they start with the end in mind. If you back out of that outcome, then it is necessary, I think, that Joe Biden is the candidate. And so as we move through these contests, I think each individual candidate is going to get their 15 minutes of fame because the Democrats need to be walked through the paces. They need to believe that there's a real contest and that they're a little vote matters and and that they're participating in democracy. But at the end of the day, I think that uh, Biden, even though he is a, a horrible candidate, even though he is senile and a little crazy, um, he's just that guy that is just going to stay there as each one uh, peters out, runs out of money, says something stupid, and then falls off the map. So and Joe so Biden it, finishes fifth on Monday, which I think is possible. Yeah. Now, it could be like fifth in that there's four people within four or five points for second. OK, yeah. but it's possible he could finish fifth. I absolutely think that's possible. That change your perspective at all. Maybe, maybe. I don't think he'll finish fifth, but if he does, you know, it could it could change my perspective. And I could be wrong about this. I think as far as an unknown, there's only there's really only one unknown in 2020. And that is, in my estimation, the economy. Because, you know, if we just play this through, what, what I think is happening, the, you know, the powers that be want to keep this economy inflated. They want to keep the illusion of a booming economy. They want everyone to kind of stay put so that they can get Trump into office in 2020. And then that's when they're probably going to let the air out because we, we necessarily need to go into a recession or have some type of correction. And, and they've pumped it up to such an extent that it's probably going to be much more painful. And they would love to bust that on President Trump's head, right, in a second term. And so, you know, what we're looking at is, I mean, just in the past month, we had the, the Q4 report come out, 2.1% GDP growth, which is the estimate, but there are estimates that it's 1.7%. You have the yield curve that just inverted again. You have um, the $1 billion or $100 billion uh, repo actions by the Federal Reserve, which is basically, I mean, it's addressing cash crises by governments and corporations and institutions. That's been going on for six months, seven months. Um, we haven't seen that since 2007, 2008. That's what and my financial guy has really worked up about, yeah, are the repo markets. Big, yeah, It's a big deal. He's really so, worried about that. When you look at the fact that an outbreak of coronavirus in China, which is affecting 8,000 people out of billions in China, when you see the fact that that is, is resulting in major upheaval in the United States stock market, you know that investors are getting a little skittish. And what you can't predict, it's very psychological, the market. And the one thing that the planners cannot predict is when people are going to get spooked, if investors are going to get spooked. If that leads to a panic and you have something, some type of economic turmoil happen before the 2020 election, then it could throw everything into chaos okay. and then we're not sure what's going to happen. All right. so. Let's get to the exit question. Pick your top three in order on Monday night. Aaron, you start. Going to be uh, Sanders, Buttigieg, and Warren. Sanders, Buttigieg, and Warren in the top three. Todd. Same. The same? You still think she can get into the top three, Elizabeth Warren? Okay. Well, I mean, low bar. Could be third, could be 15, the, just yeah, above yeah. the 15% yeah. threshold. Okay. What do you think, Shannon? Who's your top three? 
I said Sanders, Buttigieg, and Biden. Okay. In third. Issue four, Kobe Bryant. The nation was shocked last Sunday afternoon at news of the death of one of the National Basketball Association's most legendary players, Kobe Bryant. Bryant was, as was his custom, traveling over Los Angeles in his private helicopter on Sunday morning with his 13-year-old daughter Gianna and seven others. No one survived the crash. Memories and tributes poured over social media through the week as people from across the country lamented Bryant's death. But perhaps no tribute was more impactful than this one from ESPN's Ellie Duncan. I met Kobe one time backstage at an event for ESPN in New York. And I saw him and I thought, oh my gosh, that's Kobe. I got to get a picture for the gram. Hmm. That's the picture. I didn't get it for a few minutes because as I approached him, he immediately commented on my rather large eight-month pregnant belly. How are you? How close are you? What are you having? Mm -hmm. A girl, I said. And then he high-fived me. Girls are the best. I asked him for advice on raising girls, seeing as though he quite famously had three at the time. And he said, just be grateful that you've been given that gift because girls are amazing. His third daughter, Bianca, was about a year and a half old at the time. So I asked if he wanted more children. And he said that his wife, Vanessa, really wanted to try again for a boy, but was sort of jokingly concerned that it would be another girl. And I was like, four girls, are you joking? Like, what would you think? How would you feel? And without hesitation... He said, I would have five more girls if I could. I'm a girl dad. When it came to sports, he said that his oldest daughter was an accomplished volleyball player and that the youngest was a toddler, so TBD. But that middle one, he said, that middle one was a monster. She's a beast. She's better than I was at her age. She's got it. That middle one, of course, was Gigi. When I reflect on this tragedy and that half an hour that I spent with Kobe Bryant two years ago, I suppose that the only small source of comfort for me is knowing that he died doing what he loved the most, being a dad, being a girl dad. So we're short on time. So, Todd, I'm going to go to you with this. Why do you think this celebrity death struck a chord with so many people in particular? Well, I'm a girl dad, uh, so it hit me in that way. But it's mostly about that guy was kind of a superhero, a modern-day superhero, these athletes. And And in this culture, when we do not think about heavy things in any way we run away from them and and when we think we're doing heavy things it's all very very shallow we're perpetually in the shallow pool this forced people to think about things that they live their whole lives trying not to think about uh and Mm. it's just and i hope they stay there for a while because that's where they need to be something real happened they we have feet of clay we need to think about that and how we live our lives and kobe bryant really transformed his life over the last two decades he did some not so good things he seemed to be a pretty good dude at the end i just think reality in a way that we escape all the time just grabbed us and it was refreshing so here's a a champion of uh that I think a lot of people probably didn't know about him and his daughters until these last few days. So here's a champion of, uh, of, of our modern materialism in a way who then suddenly is struck down and we're reminded of the existential yes. mortality, as you described it. Yes. Kinds of things that we want to forget conveniently not discuss in this culture today. Fascinating. Let's get to predictions. Shannon, I'm going to start with you. What's your prediction this week? 
think that um, we are going to see a major move by the Trump campaign to go after the black vote. And I think it actually might work. Um, working with Kanye and Kim Kardashian, criminal justice reform, we're seeing a huge outreach to black colleges. And now, you know, he has uh, organizers all over the country, hand, you know, going into black communities. They're doing walking around money like Democrats have done for decades. I read that yesterday. Yeah. Tell you what, there could be a, this could be a historic election. We could see um, a major shift in black demographic, black voters going for a Republican. I'll say this because of his celebrity, but his willingness to in, engage those cultural flashpoint issues. There is you, he has more in common with a lot of black and brown voters than he does a lot of white suburbanites on those kinds of issues. He does. Aaron, my Chiefs win thirty three twenty seven. Todd. I totally agree with Shannon, uh, by the way. I totally agree with uh, Aaron. Chiefs are going to win and go Chiefs. Um, but I think that the chaos of the Kobe Bryant thing um, and as, uh, w- at least one smaller market, even though it's got Patty Mahomes, I've got this feeling that this may be one of the least viewed Super Bowls in some time. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, the theme of this year's Super Bowl commercials, my prediction, it's going to be gender bending. Mark my words. There is going to be a ton of it in the commercials that you're going to see on Sunday. This is going to be the Super Bowl brought to you by Ziggy Stardust, uh, you know, uh, brought to you by Jessica Yanov, uh, brought to you by Trans Mental Illness. You're gonna, you are gonna get a hefty dose of gender bending with the commercials that are on tap on Sunday. I think that's going to be the thing. Yeah, I hate you. You were, I was kind of like, no, you said this before. I said this like a, a year ago. It became out that there is yeah. definitely going to be one of them. Yeah. Well, no, a year ago, but like last like, week. Was, yeah, was and few, then we now we ago. know yeah. there is going to be at least one. There's good, yeah. And there, there won't be the only one. You see corporations sink. They're, they're going to stick this I, into a I lot of their you, various here, here's ads. Here's the total depravity card. You win it back. If it's about something bad, I'm right on the money. I'm never right on the good stuff. I wish I was right more on the good stuff. Shannon, good to see you. Good to see you guys too. Thanks. We'll come back with some feedback Friday here right after this. Stay tuned. And we're back with Hour 2 live and on demand here on Blaze TV radio podcast. Steve Dace here, Todd and Aaron McIntyre here with you as well as we begin Feedback Friday. 888-900-3393 is the number here to The Blaze, 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you may email the program if you'd like to let us know what you think about what we think. You can also try hooking up with us uh, on Facebook, but good luck with that because Facebook doesn't like us. So you can try the like, who knows if it'll go through the shadow ban or not. You can also try following us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. And if you're not yet a subscriber, and you want to sample uh, some some free clips of this show each day, or maybe you are one and want to try to help us spread the word, uh, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. youtube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can subscribe and share some clips from the show as well. Like uh, several of you emailed me uh, requesting we take the little rant that I had about uh, how essentially everything you as conservatives have been taught about politics from Fox News to the Republican Party on down is a total lie. And we broke that down for you in the middle of just one singular buy, sell, or hold question. Mm -hmm. And after getting a few emails from you folks, I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. So I texted Aaron. I'm like, hey, let's 
let's uh, take that out, put it on YouTube. He's like, I already had it planned, ready to go this afternoon. So yes, Steve. That's a clip you definitely want to share for sure. All right, that that's your that's a is it a red pill or blue pill in the Matrix? I always forget which one it was. Right? Yeah, I can't remember. Either. Whichever one it was. That's what pill that one is. So that's a clip you'll definitely want to share at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. And part one of Feedback Friday is brought to you by Riduzone, who wants to give you a reality check for your New Year's resolution to change your diet and lose weight. Chances are you're having a lot of trouble fighting those cravings, but there could be a solution right around the corner known as Riduzone, developed by doctors and backed by not one, but two U.S. patents. Riduzone is the only FDA-accepted product that provides and includes OEA, which is the natural occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake. And Riduzone makes it easier with that OEA for you to resist those cravings that can ruin your resolve. So make sure you check it out exclusively on their website. That's the only place you can buy Riduzone is at Riduzone. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. And when you go there to RidgeZone.com, type in my name, Steve, is the promo code. You're going to get an incredible offer, 65% off. That's practically giving it away to get you started. 65% off, and what do you know, they'll throw in the free shipping for you too. Free shipping and 65% off right now, promo code Steve, at RidgeZone, R-I-D-U-C-O-N-E, RidgeZone.com. We ready to go for some feedback Friday? You bet. Let's begin. I got this one before Christmas, but given the subject matter, it's it's certainly not dated. And I know there's, I know there's a lot of you in this audience, and that are dealing with similar similar issues. So I'm gonna I'm gonna withhold this person's name for their privacy. They didn't ask me to, but I'm just gonna make that decision. I, I think you'll think it was prudent given what I'm about to share. All right. Spent the other day with my daughters, both liberal, one a college professor. Um, she told us uh, that a girl on their campus was raped at uh, gunpoint in her dorm room. We were discussing the circumstances, security, etc. I made the comment that if she had a concealed carry, things may have been different. They, both my daughters went off on me like an explosion. Steve, they won't even listen to my opinion, screaming that he would have used her gun on her. And I tried to say, not if you've been to classes and properly trained, practiced, etc., Ends up ugly, me just wanting to leave, but I didn't. So still, I'm wondering, what is the answer? I'm not even as a mom allowed to have my own opinions. My daughter only says guns breed more violence, wouldn't even let me speak. I'm so very sad, angry, hurt, etc. So first, they disrespect their mom. Second, I, I couldn't find a way to even have this conversation civilly. How funny is it that I didn't leave and we went ahead and, and went to see Mr. the Mr. Rogers movie anyway? <laughs> but I'm really in despair because over Christmas, uh, this is a time I should be joyful. They will not share their lives, basically, uh, because to them, I'm just wrong about everything. Sorry to unload. I'm not even sure whether how much to even tell my husband, because he'll want to defend me and go off on them, which only makes it worse, especially with Christmas around the corner. I'll stop there. Again, name and address is withheld. But I know, I know there's a good portion of you in this audience that have encountered situations like this. And I, I think this needs to be an ongoing conversation because you're gonna, it's going to get worse. It, it's going to get worse. I mean, I, I went through a situation yesterday where um, somebody who's becoming a good friend of mine, and we, don't, we certainly have diff, vastly different views on numerous things, 
but I, I saw on his social media that he was essentially promoting mental illness. And I'm not changing. I'm not backing down. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moderating. I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this all the way to the end. But I know at some point it's going to be unavoidable that there's going to be friction here. I know. You know, I'm blessed. I don't have this yet in my home, but I, my oldest daughter is very involved in the performing art community, something I encouraged when she was younger because she's got a gift and I want her to use it. But I knew the risk of well, that eventually it could happen, that bad company corrupts good character. And she could begin seeing things the way of the people that she's with more time than more times now than she is me. That has not happened. You know, we've had a couple of interesting conversations because she's gotten viewpoints from other sides of arguments. But but there hasn't been a there's no point. I mean, her and I are still very close. There's no point where I mean, she had we had her graduation party at the the church community center last year and I mean, we we had I I would I would guess we had the most eclectic group of guests any homeschool graduation had in Iowa in 2019 between the 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 people that she's connected with through her family and then the people she's connected with through the performing arts community. But I know at I know that at any point that could change. And again, I love her. I'd give my life for her. But I'm not giving her my convictions. I'm not changing for her. Not happening. You know? So I the more secularized and pagan this culture becomes the more stories within our audience there's going to be like this. And I don't, I, I don't know. That's why I just think we, we probably can't reset this conversation enough. First of all, just probably therapeutically, for number one, just so you know you're not alone out there. You're not alone out there. Um, and you know what? I can, give you, I can give you a blessing if you want one because I... I this person emails me pretty regularly, so I'm pretty sure they're listening today. The fact that your husband was willing to go to war, take that as a blessing. The fact that you're like, I don't know if I should tell him, should tell the old man, because I know what he'll do with this. <laughs> All right. Take that as a blessing that you're not married a, a passive, aggressive, mamby, pamby moron. Because there's not enough, there's not too many women in this culture that can even say that about frankly. Okay, so there's always, you know me, I'll find a way to declare victory in almost any situation. There's your win right there. The fact that you, you're concerned about sharing this with your husband for fear of what he will do, that's a win. So you didn't marry a wimp. That, that's a positive. But there's going to be a lot more of this the more secularized, paganized, and de-Christianized the culture becomes. And we're going to have to navigate situations that every other era if you're a believer, every other era of the church had to do this. We here in America have been largely exempted from it because we live in a country founded and inspired by our principles and people who largely came here in order to have the ability to freely live out their faith and their conscience. Well, that, that worm has turned on that now. And so while this is not unique in the history of our belief system, it is certainly unique in the history of our belief system in this country. And 
I just think for no other reason, just a tips of the you know tool tips that yet uh, that hey here's how I navigated this situation this and that etc. You know I don't know if you guys what you guys think I don't have any great pearl of knowledge because I don't I don't think there's a a, a a code here that unlocks a user achievement. I, I just there isn't. This is this is the friction that's that's going to occur and it's going to occur more often. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, um, people love their drama. They're addicted to it. And in order to defeat bad drama, your drama, your story, it better be better. Now, this particular instance might be the exception to the rule if your story is better. And for the most part, the ties that bind aren't going to be, I mean, like this is every trip back home but you're going to have to consistently have a better start i understand why uh i mean heck i i didn't grow up in a, steve's talked about not growing up in a gun culture i didn't grow up in a gun culture i can imagine why women women who didn't wouldn't necessarily think yeah I, if i was trained with a weapon is uh, a comfortable solution but if that's not your preferred no, solution I did, I did by the way i did grow up in a gun culture Dave but was just big into that, yeah. and the idea of being alone with him right. out in the middle of nowhere, pheasant hunting for eight hours a sure, day, I, I got enough you. all week long. I wasn't doing it on the weekends. Yeah. So you're, you're, then you need to choose, so you got to choose in some way, shape, or form. If this is frustrating to you and one option isn't, what are your options you're going to choose? To sit there and just be a victim and complain about it and dump that on the ones you love your most um that that's not workable that's not going anywhere um i mean as a father i'm i'm simply saying when 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 the drama that enters my home i'm like it better be good drama this better be a good story you it better be a righteous fight because i I don't i don't care about the shallow pool i don't waste my time with it um so I, i i agree with steve there's no there's no magic bullet but one of the problems when it comes to these kind of things, it's just the, the the bad drama. People think their emotions are reason, and yes. they're they're yep. imminently unreasonable. That's a key point. You and just I, made and right I just there. I just yep. don't tolerate it. And the fact that they can't handle here's if, you want another one. I'll give you another one. If 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 your family can't handle you bringing these issues up when the when it's the conversation, like you didn't like offensively look to interfere on you guys going to see the Mister Rogers movie on. Let's have a debate about. Self-defense. No, they brought the conversation up. If they can't, even if you civilly communicate your viewpoint in a conversation that they have provoked, if they can't handle your views without losing their minds, you won. You won the argument. If 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 there's not a reasoned way, mama, to defeat what you think, mama's right because of what, Todd, you just said. The mistaking of my emotion for a reason in an argument. And because I am outraged or incensed at what you think and believe, therefore it must be wrong. No. And much of this is, too many of us will then, be, to avoid the, the, the outrage, will then sink like the Homer Simpson gif into the bushes. Nope. No, I'm still here. That's great. So when you're done emoting, what do you think of my point though? I mean, if she had like a loaded gun and could shoot the rapist, he'd be dead and she wouldn't be raped. So what are your thoughts on that? I'm just not even going to entertain it. I'm not going to. Uh, here's, here's one piece of advice I would give all of you. Do not. And my family knows. And people who know me know. Your emotion 
will not intimidate me. No. No. Doesn't mean you're wrong. But when, if, if, when, when your emotion is the basis for your attempt to convince or get over on me, you need to know right now, and I've set that precedent, man, and it has been as constant as the North flipping star. You try that with me, the answer is no. Even if you turned out to be right, no. Because I will not set the precedent that I will incentivize what you just described, Todd. Never, never. Answer's no. If you can't make a reasoned argument with me or hear my argument based in, in, in a reasonable manner, then the answer's no. And no, no. I don't care about the waterworks. The uh, No. And then if you keep at me, it'll be bleep no. Nope. Oh, nope. So one encouragement I'd give everybody within the sound of my voice is to not accept and, and set the precedent that the, your family members' left-wing screeds and banshee act, antics will intimidate you. Because... If you do, that's all you're ever going to get, and that's how you're going to be treated. So right away, the, the, the incentive, you, you de-incentivize that. I will not be bullied. I won't be intimidated. First of all, we share DNA, blood, a last name. I deserve more than that. So hell no. I didn't do that to you when you asked me my opinion. I didn't do that to you, so don't do it to me. And if you do that to me, that's your sign that you clearly don't want to be with me anymore. So cool on that. But de-incentivize that stuff right away. Because you have to understand, particularly if, if they're from a college setting, they are programmed, and Aaron, you can speak to this, they're programmed to react to you like this. That that, that level of emotion is, is in and of itself the argument and is to shut down all opposing views. Yeah, yeah, and I would say... I would say at the end of the day, do nothing, say nothing that you can't take back again. So there's there's the, de- the, the, the rewiring of them, as Steve was just talking about, not to incentive that t- incentivize that type of behavior. On the other hand as well, argue with them all you want. Um, get into it all you want. I mean, it's not really an argument what you're describing. It's just you laid out your position and which they asked emo- for, which they asked for yeah. and they're emoting. But if they do want to go back and forth somehow, then you can argue, to, but don't say anything. Because guess what? The next time that there's there's an issue in their life, they're they're not going to be thinking about, well, I'm not going to go talk to mom because she has, says X, Y, Z on guns. Um, but they they there will be they, there will be a, a little bit less trust if it if it gets into a personalized uh, going back and forth. So don't don't play their game as well. Just know that when the next tragedy or the next uh, challenge trial in their life comes up, those are the moments where you kind of make hay in a relationship. Not to put it all clinically, but those are the those are the parts of the relationship that really really matter and you don't want to lose that as as well because out coming out of those moments they're probably going to be more prone to trust you on other things as well so all that is to say say nothing that you can't take back uh because the next time that they have an issue that really 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 matters personally they're probably going to be coming to you first joshua Geyer writes i'm a big fan of your show and i'm extremely happy the blaze put you on after glenn uh, thank you. I really look forward to the critical thinking skills you three gentlemen exhibit on your show regularly. I'm trying to teach my children and myself how to better do this skill. I was curious of what books you would recommend my children and I could read to help us develop the skill of critical thinking. 
I know you're busy, but uh, I'm, and I'm sure you get a ton of emails, but any help would be greatly appreciated. And thank you guys for your show and all that you, all that you do. Theological Thursday is the highlight of my week. Great question, Josh. And I'm going to give you a recommendation of the greatest, the greatest examples of critical thinking, I think, that have ever been written down. The Gospels. And I think whether you believe Jesus is the Messiah or not, you're going, your, criti- your thinking skills, your critical thinking skills are going to be challenged. Because what you see throughout this exercise are two opposing viewpoints. That, and then later on, a third, the Roman viewpoint is entered in. So I guess you could say three, yeah. What you'll see are three opposing viewpoints, all attempting to defeat one another simultaneously. One proclaiming, this is the Messiah. The other saying, no, it's not. And then a third that says, we don't care. (laughs) Um, We just uh, 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 fear us. We have the sword. And that that's kind of a snapshot for what's going on in American culture today, isn't it? You have one worldview that says, hey, these are the ideals and things that the country was founded on. You have another worldview that says, no, it wasn't. And then you have another worldview that says, power. Power is the, in, in, the ends and the means in and of themselves. I think, that's a, I think that's a pretty fair comparison, don't you? Yeah. You know, and so I, I would encourage you and your kids to study the Gospels because you're going to go, you're, a lot of critical thinking is going to be challenged. You're going to watch both sides of arguments not accept the other's premise and attempt to turn the premise around on them. And it's not just what, what Christ does to um, uh, the Jewish leaders that don't believe in him or to the, uh, or, or to the Roman procurator. They do it to him. Both sides attempt to do this. Meaning the gospel of John, Jesus says, I, for this reason I came into this world. This is in John 18. For this reason I came into this world to testify to the truth. And, and almost like a dismissive, flippant wave, uh, Pilate, who's the Roman procurator, he represents the seat of power in the world in this conversation. He looks at him and says, in Latin, chaos veritas, what is truth? I, I'm not here for the truth. I don't care about your, and that's your truth anyway. I just, I'm looking, I want my, I'm I'm trying to save my power and I want a way out of this. So a lot of the way that we choose to argue today, naughtiness, snark, emotion, what we were just talking about with the last email, all of these things you're going to see, a confluence of these exact same things we're going through right now. You're going to see that occur in those four gospels. And... I think they're the greatest exercise in critical thinking that's ever been written. Because you're going to see everybody here is playing for keeps. Everybody here is is on the existential tip. Everybody. All three sides are going for broke. No accommodation. Uh, You know, it's like, it's the NFL of uh, culture war, which stands for not for long. If you're on the wrong side here, right? 
Everybody goes all in. There's no stragglers here. Everybody's all in. And I think because of that, you get a pretty vivid portrait of critical thinking. You guys want to chime in on that? Well, um, in, in tr- I, I could obviously double down on that uh, t- to go in a, a slightly different direction. Why do we need critical thinking? People talk about it all the time, even the people who don't really have any plans on going there. Why, why is this an important tool? It's not an, it's not an end in and of itself, it's there's a end game. There's a there's a target. Uh, it, in my estimation, that's the the good, the true, and the beautiful. It's it's not it's not getting clicks. It's not winning the argument uh, for winning sake. It's getting there. And and so being amongst people who's set that as their target, uh. And then even when they were wrong and wrong a lot, relentlessly going about getting there it is useful, So, which is why I think you go pre-Gospels, in my estimation, and you go to the Greeks, and you read Plato's Republic, uh, and you read, uh, you immerse yourself in what the Socratic dialogue is. I mean, we, we are... That that's the heart of uh, a paganism of a sort. But they did believe it was the duty of man to somehow arrive at the good, the true, and the beautiful. Failed a lot, but engage yourself with people who tried and tried hard, relentlessly hard, in ways that were like, I got, I, I don't have time. I got things to do. I got bills to pay. No, that was their bill to pay. They believed they had to pay that bill to have a life worth living. Yeah, I. I was trying to think, um, you know, the the studying the the scriptures, the new the New Testament, and and just the whole of the Bible. Of course, that's a that's a great great place um, to start and end. To be honest, um, I I would say as well. There's there's something I think that gets a little bit uh, mistaken maybe when we talk about critical thinking. We kind of take it for granted on this show, uh, I think quite a bit that critical thinking, that's what we do all the time. Critical thinking is not the same as logical thinking. You use logic in order to make your judgments, but critical thinking is used in order to make a judgment about something. So critical thinking is coming at uh, issues, coming at uh, larger narratives, things. It's making decisions based on asking questions and not just taking anything for granted. And of course, we have to use logic. So there's, you know, it's kind of a maybe a little bit of a distinction without a difference as well. But uh, I would say, as you start these dialogues, if, you know, in you start uh, maybe talking to your kids and teaching your, your, your kids more uh, critical things, logic is not the end all be all, although it's very, very helpful. But critical thinking, again, is coming at things and not taking things for granted, questioning things all of the time, which is what we're doing a lot this year with the, the show theme, which is, uh, which is uh, assume you're being lied to. Mm-hmm. That's just another way of saying critical thinking. Peggy writes, what's your Mount Rushmore of podcasts? Yes, I... You listen to podcasts all the time, don't yeah, you? Yeah, probably not the type though that that she's asking about. Because when I'm when I'm not doing this, I I'm I don't spend a lot of time on this stuff. I, you know, I I gotta get I I 
I get into, I listen to the sports podcast most of the time. I, I'm trying to get away. You know, I, I, I just cannot become obsessed with this and let it consume me because I will if I don't. If I'm, not, if I'm not purposeful about drawing some lines in the sand with my time away from this, then it will absolutely consume me because that's the way my, my brain is wired. Just go all in or all out with something. So I've got to be purposeful about making, drawing some lines. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I'd certainly put in anything. Uh, let me—that's a good follow-up to what we were just discussing. Let my people think by Ravi Zacharias. I, I put that on my Mount Rushmore podcast. I've probably listened to that as much as almost anything in that in the arena. You're probably asking me about. I would put that there. Um, you have anything you want to add in there, Aaron? Um, yeah, I, I would say. Uh, the John MacArthur and it's it's escaping me right now. Uh, the John MacArthur podcast is just basically his sermons. Uh, I was going to say uh, R.C. Sproul as well. His renewing program, your mind. Renewing, I listen to that a lot. Renewing when he was your alive. mind. Yeah, those are probably those are still s- all up there. I would imagine. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, those are great. I, I would say most of the podcasts that I listen the most to uh, either have Iowa or Hawkeyes or some derivation of yeah in there. Although. There is uh, there is one podcast that my wife introduced me to that is really interesting, and it's totally not – well, for the most part, it's not political or sports-related. It's the dark side of – and holy cow, you want to have your conceptions of things ruined in an interesting way? Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to that podcast. I listen to the one on Shirley Temple. Holy cow. That, the that, dark side of Shirley Temple. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and it wasn't really her; it was the people around her. Yeah, like what happened Just to her? Terrible. Basically. Oh my goodness! Yeah. But it's really interesting in, a, in kind of a perverse way. I used to love years ago. I used to love the White Horse Inn, which was kind of a uh, a gathering of uh, uh, evangelical theologians from various persuasions that would just you know, kind of go back and forth and riff on topics culturally and theologically. I've been hesitant to go back and listen to some of that stuff though. Cause I have to just tell you the, the Trump era has ruined a lot of this kind of stuff. I mean, just, it just has, I, I hate to say it, but it has. And it's just, you know, even in those arenas, it's orange man, bad or Cheeto Jesus saves. I saw Ali Stuckey was asking the question of Beth Moore that we tried asking about seven, eight months ago. Mm-hmm. Where are these racists in the church that you keep confronting? Do you know any names? Right. I, I felt like she was channeling us when I had the same frustration a year ago when, you know, she was, I guess she was doing it again on Twitter today or oh, yesterday really? or something oh, and never offers any specifics. There's that with a lot of those kinds of um, cool cultural podcasts from a theological perspective, a lot of it's been trumpetized where, I mean, either, you know, you, you think, you know, Jesus is literally guiding Trump's hand as he signs legislation, or um, you think that if you, you know, move the comb over underneath the orange, it would say six, six, six. And so a lot of those I've just had to voluntarily just, and let's say that's happened. like the, I don't even know if the white horse is even still around, but a lot of that kind of stuff that I used to really dig, I, I, for my own sanity, I had to kick to the curb. And that's why I just do a lot of, that's why I do a lot of sports podcasts when I'm not doing what is necessary for me to be informed and up to speed uh, to do this show. Because a lot of it is just, we've just drawn lines over the absolute dumbest crap 
That's why I still like Revy Zacharias because he's actually he's from India. So he's, he's not as obsessed with a lot of this stuff as we are from an American perspective. All right, we'll come back. Fascinating question one of our listeners is going to ask us when we get to part two of Feedback Friday in a moment. Part two of Feedback Friday brought to you by Rough Greens. My dog has a new addiction. Cap has a new addiction, man. I busted out the, the Rough Greens Vitamix to fill up his water dish this morning. The dog lost its mind. Like he, like he used to with treats. And I'm like, isn't this supposed to be like a healthy food supplement? I'm 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 half damn tempted to taste it myself, seeing what reaction this thing produces in the dog, mixing into my food. I mean, the dog loves this stuff. All right. And the the reason why you want to try Rough Greens Vita Smart for your dog is because whether you're making dog food at home, whether you're uh, buying dog food at the store, a lot of the probiotics, enzymes, vitamins, healthy microbacteria that the, the kinds of live cultures that are needed in, in, in dog food are stripped out. Same with the food that uh, we eat as well. That's why we're taking a lot more supplements in this day and age to get those things back in to our daily regimen as well. But here's the thing. It can be as good for your dog as you want it to be. If your dog won't, won't take it, won't eat it, won't drink it, then what's the point, right? Well, I can tell you, if my dog, whether we put it in the water or the food, absolutely inhales this stuff. Like I just put a plate of bacon on the floor. I've never seen him do anything like this except for like I give him an extra piece of bacon or two. So if you want to make your dog's food better, Rough Greens Vita Smart is the way to go. Endorsed by my dog, Cap. If he was here, he'd give you a bark because he's obsessed. All right, Rough Greens. R-U-F-F is how you can spell it. Roughgreens.com. Slash Blaze is where you can go and give it a shot. Rough Greens Vita Smart for your puppy. Roughgreens.com slash Blaze. That's roughgreens.com slash Blaze. Or give them a call at 833-693-6433. That's 833-693-6433. Next time you guys are over, I might have to do this. All right. I might have to bust out some of this Vita Smart and just let you guys watch my dog's reaction. It's insane man. He loves it. He loves it. All right. I have been anxious to answer this question. Dwayne Shaw writes, when I share posts from your show, one of the main comments I get from my friends, especially if they're Trump supporters, is that your criticism of Trump is fanning the flames that Democrats are lighting under his pyre. While I know that you are simply trying to call balls and strikes, is it possible we have come to the place where reliance on objectivity has passed? where the only argument we can make is one that ignores our own side's shortcomings. It's not like Democrat pundits are admitting to the errors their players make. Where is the Steve Dace and the Democrats' media team? Does it hurt our message to so loudly declare the wrong moves our players make? Or could we at least talk about it less or more about the horde coming at us? Which is a greater threat than Trump? This is an excellent, excellent email. And an excellent slate of observations and questions to ask. And to make. And it is one that, um, just speaking for myself, I wrestle with this all the time. All the time. Because of, first of all, 
who was the first show to tell you that this was a cold civil war? We were. I, I Long before Todd and Aaron came to work here, I've been trying to warn, whether it was on 78 radio stations on the Salem Radio Network from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern, including several major markets, or whether it was here on The Blaze, I have for the last seven or eight years been saying, you cannot negotiate with these people. They're not here to negotiate with you. Kevin McCarthy-type Republicans are no bueno. This is, this is a game of risk. At the end, there's going to be one person is going to win. Going to be one winner. One worldview is going to win here. I've also pointed out, this is, and Aaron even made this point. At this point, Aaron's probably, well, I don't know. I, Aaron is still Trump skeptical. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. yeah. And even you pointed out last hour, this isn't about impeaching Trump. It's really about impeaching who? Us. Yeah, the people who voted for him or they, or they view as his, his potential voting block. Yep. Okay. That's what it's really about, right? Those things are all true. Um, so I don't think it's an automatic sellout question to contemplate Dwayne what, what you're asking. I don't. Like, you know, I don't, I don't think this is the same as a, a hot war. Not yet. But in the, in the middle of a, of a hot war, you, you don't, when there's an invading army, it, it, we, we typically call the people that are sit or, sitting around uh, saying, hey, you could have said that better or done this differently. Traitors, <laughs> right? Okay, so I, 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 I'm sensitive to what you're describing. Believe me, I am sensitive to it. Um, now on a personal level, I am just not wired to be a joiner period. I'm, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm not. Um, and both the way I was wired and the home that I was raised in, I am perfectly comfortable being on an Island. I'm fine with it. I'm making arguments to me based on what even my wife's even learned in her own home. An argument to me, if you, want to, if you want to convince Stephen that he's wrong, lining up everybody else in the house against him probably won't do it. You're going to have to win the argument on the merit. It doesn't mean I'm right, but you know, I, I grew up in a household where I, I didn't get a lot of personal affirmation. My mom looked to work at the, at the med station or the hospital to get away, get out of the house as often as she could. And I went and played in, you know, as much basketball or in, in sports out of the house as much as I could. And when I couldn't, I, I blasted the headphones in my basement bedroom so that I could live in a world different than the one that I was actively in. You know, I didn't get around with a bunch of affirmation, attaboys. So I'm, I am fine being on an island. Fine with it. That's not always good, though. Okay? Um. Because there does come a time and place to join a cause. I don't disagree with that. I, so I wrestle with the internal mechanism that, that you're laying out, Dwayne, consistently. The but comes into what is the cause. So for me, the, the cause is revival or bust. That's the ultimate cause. You may not have that cause, and that's okay. Now, if you have a different cause, but it, but it shares a lot of the same values, we're going to have a lot of cross-pollination. 
We're going we're gonna to have a lot of mutually, assure, mutually beneficial interests, right? You know? But in the end, we, we may just not have the same cause. Because I think whether Lisa Murkowski votes for more witnesses in the Senate today or not, it's revival or bust. Whether Donald Trump gets reelected on November 6th or not, it's revival or bust. Whether Roe v. Wade gets overturned or not, it is revival or bust. That's what I think. Now, I could be wrong, but it's where I'm coming from. And so that's my ultimate cause. And the, the challenge with lining up with revival or bust as a cause is the worldview I think we have to revive too doesn't permit me any form of tribalism at all. Like, n- at all. None of it. I'm not permitted it at all. I'm constantly to be checking my own motivations and constantly to be holding my own beliefs, my own people accountable to the, the values and belief system that we claim to be a part of. And I look at what, I mean, look at the, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament in the time period in which he wrote it. You want to talk about existential binary choices. I mean, they, they were under constant threat of persecution, either from religious people that didn't view Jesus as the Messiah or from the Roman government who just wanted to put a, you know, a, a hammer to a nail and a boot to a throat because it was Tuesday. And yet, even in the midst of all of that, you still see Paul refuse and reject tribalism. There's whole sections of the New Testament. I don't care that your tribe thinks meat eaten, dedicated to idols is bad. I don't care that your tribe thinks it's fine. I don't care that your tribe wants to have church on Sunday or that your tribe doesn't and your tribe wants to do this on this day. And I don't care about any of that. Irrelevant, irrelevant. He says that constantly. And so... You know, I mean, why did the Puritans come here? Why did the pilgrims, the Puritans come here? Because they refused to conform to the binary choice that was offered to them. And the binary choice that was offered to them was Catholicism or the Church of England. And for various reasons, they didn't like either one. And the Church of England said, well, you know, we're better than the Catholics. We don't worship Mary. And they're like, well, you worship Henry VIII, so what's the diff? We're out. So, I mean, there's a long tradition of people through the history of my worldview that rejected the level of tribalism that you're describing. But I also think there's a time and a place where it's not tribalism. Like there's all kinds of people that thought FDR's New Deal was crap. But they got on they got on team FDR versus the Japs, right? Know what I'm saying? Sure. So I don't think this is an I, I think this is this is a situation that um or I think the situation determines at times um what road to go down. And is the enemy you're facing such an ultimate enemy to righteousness that that you cannot live at all as you want to as god calls you to if this option reigns and i i do think i'm always going to be brutally honest with you okay i'm not always going to be right but i'm going to be brutally honest with you i i do think the modern democratic party 
if it's not at this point is really, really close. And at the same token, I think the modern Republican Party has zero interest in doing a damn thing about that. Those are really, in many practical purposes, the only two voting options you are given. So I understand the frustration with a show like ours. We're frustrated. I mean, the other day when we talked about Trump's speech at the March for Life, I got frustrated with Todd and Aaron live on the air. I think they got frustrated with me. We're all frustrated by this process. Because you know why we're frustrated? Because we're trying to actually navigate the rocky road of the questions you just asked us, Dwayne. Because it's not easy. And it's, it's certainly not simple either. So I don't have a pat answer for you. I don't have a mark it down, absolute. I wanted to share your note though, because I know there's other people that think like you do. And I wanted to share your note to know I am constantly trying to evaluate the situation to say at this point, civilization with you in charge is insalvageable. And so, I, I, you know, for my own family, I'm going to set aside the disagreements I have with blank. I kind of did a mini version of this, actually, in the last midterm election. I can't stand my effeminate, no good-for-nothing Republican representative who ended up losing after I voted for him anyway. But I voted for him. Because what, what was attempted to Brett Kavanaugh, a judge I don't even like, was such was was so wicked, so dark that I just my conscience didn't want me to allow that precedent to stand without saying I took a stand against it. And so I went and voted straight ticket for Republican for the first time in fifteen years. Several of them are these are Republicans that if they were urinating on the side of the road, I'd I or if they were on fire on the side of the road, I'd I'd hold my urine. So yeah. Rest I wrestle with this all the time. Dwayne, all the time. And, and these are the times in which we live. And I think that's why we have tried for the last four years. And it, frankly, amongst some of you, it hasn't been returned. But it is why we have tried the last four years to offer as much grace as we can to those who have made different decisions about what to do in this era than we have, provided they're not lying to each other and us about why they're doing them. That's the thing. As long as you're not, because let me tell you what won't beat what we're up against. Delusion. Either, either imposed by them or ourselves. Delusion's not going to beat moral peace suit. Clarity will. And if you're like one of my best friends in politics, Hogan Gidley, who's the deputy communications director of this White House, one of the best buds I've had in this process. And if you're like him and you went to work eyes wide open in this White House because you made the calculation, Dwayne, that you're talking about, I've got nothing against you. And him and I have chatted several times and I want him to be successful because he's not lying to himself or deluding himself. But what I liked about the way you asked this, Dwayne, is you asked us this, or me this, from the right premise. Because often this question is asked from the premise of, why won't you excuse the inexcusable 
and pat me on the head. That's often how this question is asked. And if you come at me with that, man, I am going to revolt and rebel just on instinct. But, but the way you asked it is the way I am asking myself this question all of the time. All the time. And that's the best answer I can give you is you raise points I am absolutely constantly considering. And then sometimes, and then doesn't mean I'll consider going the way you want me to, but I am thinking about the things that you're asking me about. You bet I am. Gentlemen, you have any thoughts on that before we run out of time? Uh, of course, think about them. It was just fairly recently, earlier this week, late last week, when I said, you know, again, my if I had to vote today, I would not vote uh, for Donald Trump. And I got a text and a tweet or email just uh, like, how dare you? Do you want them to win? You know, uh, it's 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 that level of idolatrous concern for what Trump's win means that I'm I'm just trying to protect myself against. Uh, you bet, uh, I I might not vote for Donald Trump if it means becoming drug addicted in my behavior and thinking and rationalizations like you. I mean, I. I talk to me up to the eleventh hour. I'm sure I'll be able to be convince me one way or the other. Um, but I'm not. I'm not going to let this man or any other man dictate to me. If I don't do this, all hell is going to break loose. When the, it's so obviously tr- uh, true that we, what we just had with an all Republican controlled legislature and Donald Trump. And what we got and what we didn't get, I, I'm not going to lie to myself like that. I'm not going to be you no matter how much, and not, not this particular reader, I get him, but I'm just a different reader. I'm not, no matter how much you beg me, no matter how much you try uh, to say it's all going to be my fault, I promise you I'm going to sleep better at night than you will. I promise you. Yeah, it's, it's the, the great conundrum of uh, this time that we find ourselves in. The, the good news is that we need to be challenged like this uh, often, and and uh, Lord knows we do, but I think, I think something that can't be repeated often enough, and this is just the, the, the general Trump, um, the Trump uh, arena that we find ourselves in. I don't think any lower of you because of your vote for Trump None of us in this room do. I can say that with a fact. It's your reasons why you defend him, uh, even when he doesn't do things that are conservative or X, Y, and Z. It's the reasons why that we have trouble with sometimes. It's the reasons why that we applaud him sometimes as well. But it's the attitude, and I thought this was articulated really well by Ali Stuckey from The Blaze earlier today. I don't understand Christians who didn't, or I don't understand Christians who don't understand Christians who support Trump. I don't understand Christians who don't understand Christians who support grace. A lot of it. That's basically what she's saying. We need more grace for, for each other. Uh, that's true of us on the show. That's true of you listening, uh, if you're still listening. Grace can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with grace. 
have a grace-filled weekend, especially if your team's in the Super Bowl for the first time in your lifetime and you're a nervous wreck. <laughs> All right, we're going to stick around and do some overtime for our Blaze TV subscribers. Best and worst of the week for the rest of you. We'll see you on Monday, Iowa Caucus Day, right here on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. 